you have to look at the decisions that you're making on a daily basis and decide, are these critical? And can only I make these decisions? In some cases, a floor engineer can make a better decision than a board or committee that's several layers removed. We have to make decisions of a high quality more quickly. You are listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast featuring interviews and stories, tapping into project experiences in order to unravel lessons learned, identify best practices, and discover novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. In our last episode, we heard stories from Orion program manager Mark Kirisich about America's next-generation spacecraft. A companion program, NASA's Exploration Ground Systems, based at Kennedy Space Center, develops and operates the systems and facilities necessary to process and launch rockets and spacecraft, including Orion. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a closer look at the Exploration Ground Systems program and feature Angelo Connor, one of the program's analysts, as guest moderator. The topic today is Decision Velocity. Jeremy Parsons, Systems Engineering and Integration Division Chief for the Exploration Ground Systems Program, joins Angelo to discuss practical ways to make quality decisions faster. Maybe we could start off with a once upon a time. So once upon a time at the launch equipment test facility, um, you were tasked with um, heading out some verification validation testing efforts there. Yeah, so before I came into this role, I was serving as a project manager and, um, and actually was, was tasked to go lead a project that was pretty significantly behind schedule and was running into a lot of technical problems, um, pretty much not unlike a, a story that a lot of people encounter. Um, in the space industry, that's something that's, that's pretty common, but what was, was being faced was this was all of the launch accessories and umbilicals that were going for our new, uh, our new rocket that's, gonna, that's, that's really that we're set up to go replace the shuttle. It's called the Space Launch System, and, and so it's a really big deal for us. And so these launch accessories were all critical path to us finishing our mobile launch tower. So this is a really big deal. And we had only gotten into testing of one of them and we had to go finish essentially 22 launch accessories in about less than two years from then. And um, it had been about a year and a half and we had really only just started testing one. And so there was a whole lot of work that needed to be done. The fabrication of them wasn't even nearly complete. Um, Design wasn't complete. There was a lot of things that really needed to be done. And so um, they, they called me in and asked me to help kind of staff up and get things kind of moving forward because we needed to start just really hitting it hard and, and start making deliveries. So one of the one of the first things that I was really asked to do was go in, diagnose what was slowing some things down, figure out what are some mitigations we could do to really ramp up both personnel, test teams, et cetera, and then um, start implementing some of those solutions. So when I went down there, one of the first things we noticed is between the programmatic personnel and the engineering personnel and stuff, we had about nine people that were all at the same level that were required to make a decision. And so what what you can find is you, you might get really high quality decisions in certain cases, but they were extremely slow and people would debate for a very long time. The other thing was is the area to, to make some of the monetary decisions were just 
uh, you know, they, they would take several weeks to elevate and almost everything we were doing down there required money. So, so what, one of the first things we did was we said, okay, I'm going to take responsibility for every one of those decisions. We're going to make them, you know, real time. We're not going to institute any boards or panels and you're going to have immediate access for any funding decisions or any risk decisions, anything above this certain level of point, we're going to call, you know, either the program manager or the right program authority that day. And we're going to start, you know, just accelerating decisions. We also instituted a, uh, a daily and afternoon chief engineer meeting to resolve any nonconformances. So rather than, you know, wait once a week for a chief engineer panel, um, we were, we were having those daily to start beating down some of these major nonconformances we were having during testing. And one of the things I also instituted was metrics on nonconformance resolution time and set goals for how long it was taking us to resolve nonconformances. Originally, it was taking upwards of 60 plus days to resolve some of these nonconformances. And so that can be a major driver for critical path work as well as backlog of paperwork. And so those are things that, you know, we instituted major things. There also wasn't a clear schedule or schedule-oriented culture. And so we had to get a good schedule in alignment and, and then establish a, a culture that was um, accountable to the schedule. And so that was by having some really great people that were able to implement that. We brought in some great operations managers um, that really put that in place and then put in great operations leads over each one of the testing that then filtered that down into the culture. And so they then, every single morning, they'd start it on each one of the teams at 6 a.m., with pre-test briefings, then there'd be teams um, where we'd have go review the schedule uh, every morning, and that's how they would start each one of the days to give clear guidance to each one of the teams. And so, again, it's really it was kind of switching uh, the culture from one that was maybe more like development, like let's do some engineering sandbox sort of work, to let's do production sort of environment, an operation sort of environment. And so, this type of culture, the environment that you found there is not necessarily, um, wouldn't necessarily be specific to this type of work that we're doing. Um, You might be able to find these types of um, organizations where you have uh, slow decision processes, where you, like you said, you might make really good decisions, high quality decisions, but in a slow way. So how do you know if your particular organization might be falling into that state of a, of a bureaucratic, risk-averse, kind of um, slow decision-making culture? So it's, that's a really good question. It's one that I tend to think sneaks up on you. Um, I think in today's culture, you have to constantly assess where you're at. And so you have to have some sort of baseline to understand, am I performing to the goals that we've set out? And so you have to look at the decisions that you're making on a daily basis and decide, are these critical? And can only I make these decisions? Or are the decisions I'm making on a daily basis, can I push those down? And and so one of the things, uh, we've instituted a, a team here to try and, and, and look at our speed of decisions within the program. How can we realign some of them? And and one of the ways that that I've we kind of draw we drew it out was, you know, we have decisions that need to be fast and that we can accept some risk on. Right? They can be um, fast and are low consequence 
right? We don't want to say low quality because, quite frankly, we can make some very high-quality decisions um, very quickly, but they're low consequence. We have some decisions that need to be, um, that are very high consequence and need to be made quickly and high consequence that need to be made very slowly and deliberately with every stakeholder involved, right? And so what there, you, you can categorize some of these decisions and then, and then bucket them. What I found is in some organizations, in some areas, right, when you're constantly driving everything to the same process, which is that high consequence, you know, top bucket, which basically says everything has to go through an extreme board, an extreme panel, and have every stakeholder involved, well, that's going to be a very slow process. And maybe, just maybe, you're not getting the risk buy-down that you really wanted or were, or were going for, right? And, and yes, there's a lot of people that want to be informed, and that is one way to do that, um, but it has consequences. And so you can step back and, and look at, are there other ways to achieve the same goals, but do it more quickly? In our particular organization, and I've seen it elsewhere, we like the stoplight charts. We like the green, yellow, red. And that can be okay sometimes. It might boil down the analysis of the data too much. Um, but because we're looking at red, yellow, green, um, sometimes we start to feel scared of the red metrics. We start to feel afraid if we're going to move something from green to yellow. And so we start to kind of put things forward that are are in the green, things that we know are good. And that might not um, give us the appropriate understanding of where we are. Um, But maybe if we were to look at metrics more agnostically and say, it's data, it's an analysis, it's a number, it's not necessarily bad, maybe that might help us from falling into that kind of slow, risk-averse kind of methodical process that you were talking about. So that's absolutely something that I'm, a, I'm an ad advocate for, obviously, now that could be the background in, in, in working with folks such as your, yourself that do probabilistic risk assessments. Um, I think that we have to be driven by data rather than emotions, especially when, again, the atmosphere we're talking about here and in my mindset is both project management and technical hardcore engineering decisions, right? And so those really have to be driven, in my opinion, you have to take the emotion out of it and you have to go be driven, you know, by what is the data telling us. Again, depending on what is the the figure of merit of the organization, right? If as an organization, we are meeting all of our goals, we're meeting all of our objectives, and we are hitting schedule, then maybe that's okay. But, you know, if you look at what our schedules are, you know, maybe that's not the case. And we need to figure out ways to start trimming out everywhere we can to not lose any ground. And so, you know, when, when those sorts of conversations come up, it's, it's incumbent on leaderships and, and, and whatever to say, this is low consequence, you know, who's got the ball, go with it, that sort of thing. But also, there's things where we need to try and stop talking about some things, drive it to the less emotional realm, right? Go say, we need to go get quantitative analysis on this. This isn't great for discussion until we actually have data to back it up and then bring it back for kind of some of the larger forums. And, and that can actually be done in many cases more quickly. 
So in all of this so far, you've been talking about um, kind of knowing what decisions you can make quickly, what decisions need to be elevated. How do you look at a a decision that comes before you and decide, um, are there labels that you put to it? Are there um, certain tick boxes, check marks that you want to place on it uh, to say this is more of a, a strategic type of thing that we can kind of move a little bit slower on, or this is something that needs to happen now. Um, what are the types of um, characteristics of those types of decisions? There's some some general hallmarks that decide whether or not this needs to be really slow and deliberate, or or it can be something that, that can be made very quickly. Um, one, you should always understand who your stakeholders are and and what involvement they're going to need in, in the decision. Cost is going to be a big factor. Is it is it in your is it even in your authority chain? Um, and and that's going to be one big culture thing that's important for us as an organization, for any organization to decide, right? What authority are they going to delegate and empower to the people? And and what are they going to push down? The other thing is, is, is this decision reversible, right? What's, you know, if I can quantify to, to my boss, right, boss, this is, this is how I, I intend to proceed. This is the cost I'm going to spend. But by the way, if I'm wrong, three months from now, I can back out of this and here's what we're going to go do. He's going to be much more inclined to let us just pick a path and move because sometimes that's what you got to go do, right? I could go spend six months, do analysis and still be wrong, or I can pick a path now and we can go. And then what are the consequences of doing that? So often we're so scared to just pick that point and move on. And, and so if I can outline what that is, right, um, that allows them to be comfortable in making that decision. So is it something I can back out on, right? Is there another course I could take, or what would those consequences be? Sometimes if they're financial dollars, what we as an entity oftentimes don't realize is, you know, my burn rate of a workforce, right? For example, at the at the lunch equipment test facility, you know, my burn rate was, you know, I mean, I'm spending a couple of million dollars a month, right? Just to keep that workforce going. If I failed to make a decision, you know, that's that's huge dollars outflow. So we needed to, to make decisions and move because that was that was cash that was going out that they were sitting around not testing if we weren't making decisions. Um, so that's something that I always keep in mind. The the risk, obviously, which is, is this going to impact larger critical paths, things like that. Um, and so all of those kind of factors um, go in. And then, quite frankly, because we are a government organization, what is the outside visibility? You know, what is that visibility? And is this something that we need to be fully aware of and what are those implications um, to, of a larger failure or something like that. Um, off the top of my head, those are some of the things that, that I think are really relevant. Um, and so all those things kind of factor in and then you say, okay, can I make this at, at my level or within my level of authority or do I need to bump it up? What I find is in most of my experience, there's a whole lot of stuff I'm able to make at my level, but there is a culture of fear in doing so. It was kind of interesting you leading off this kind of discussion about the different hallmarks of the types of decisions that you can make quickly. Um, you mentioned the term um, being afraid of. Um, you kind of ended the discussion with the word fear. Um, maybe it's not necessarily a fear of blame or a fear of the consequences of the actions, but it's kind of this 
overall reticence really to be the one to make that decision. Um, and maybe that's why we try and spread things out among a committee. But um, what are some ways that leaders can, um, what are some of the characteristics that a leader might want to develop in order to be able to kind of overcome that hurdle and, and really be the one to say, okay, I'm going to head this, the buck stops here as far as, like you said, to my decision authority level. Um, What are some of the characteristics that you can develop? So NASA has a long history of both just extraordinary leadership and has been a model in a number of leadership books and classes and things like that, but also some of our more public, um, our more public I would say failures probably isn't the right word, but you know the the accidents that we've had in Columbia and Challenger has definitely imbued a culture where um, fear of failure and the consequences of some of those failure has definitely you know filtered into the organization. Right? We want to double check, recheck, triple check our work, and so that also means that we've set up boards, committees, and things like that to, to make decisions. And that's generally how a lot of those things go along, right? It's, it's a risk-averse culture in certain instances. Um, and so what, what you know, we got to be careful to swing the pendulum too far out of the way and try and go for that sweet spot in the middle. Um, we, you know, the Exploration Ground Systems Program right now is in, is in a design and development phase that's then entering into its test into operations phase, which means we have to be ready to go take what's been on paper for a long time and in construction and then put it into operations, which means you really have to enter into a different mode of mindset and thinking, right? And so that also requires people to be a little bit more willing to accept some of that personal responsibility, but that doesn't mean that you don't communicate, right? Um, And so, what, what it really has to be is ensure that as managers we put the right people in the right jobs, know what their capabilities are, and then empower them appropriately. When you have the wrong people in the wrong job, you know, you have to take action on that as well. Um, and then ensure that those lines of communication are incredibly open. And so not everything has to be done via board or committee. It can be done by, you know, empowered individuals, but that have clear lines of communication up to route that information quickly um, to where if they feel or are over their head, it's, it's quickly elevated, quickly communicated, and that they have the backup and the resources that they need in order to get the appropriate decisions made. Um, but necessarily elevating some of these things to boards, committees, you know, does that buy down your risk? Maybe it's perceived, but in some cases, a floor engineer can make a better decision than a board or committee that's several layers removed. Well, and that kind of comes down to trusting your workforce, right? So um, can you think of uh, any times where maybe you might have disagreed with the floor engineer or, or someone that was in a position, but you felt that they knew maybe they knew better or maybe they had a, um, some information that you didn't that then you um, just accepted their um, their path, their their recommendation, and made the decision that way, even if you didn't necessarily think that 
that would be the decision you would make? I was really, really fortunate um, in, in all of the testing environment that I worked in to have really amazing lead design engineers that I was working with. Most of the, and, and chief engineers, to be honest, uh, some of the most intelligent, hardworking individuals I've, I've had the, the fortune of working with. And most of the time, any solutions that we were arrived to, you know, they would obviously come up with the solutions. We would work together. So I would set, in a lot of cases, a goal or a vision, right, which would say, hey, you know, guys, we need to get this done in two days. Or, you know, they would come with, with an initial solution. I would be like, that's really costly and it's going to take too long. You know, let's, is there any other ways we can think about this if I remove this constraint from the problem? Or if I get you more of this? You know, and then they'd, they'd well, I hadn't thought about it that way. I'd let, you know, maybe we go do this. And what I found is if you take a couple of constraints away or change a couple of the, the variables, they came back with some amazing solutions. Um, one of the gentlemen I worked with, Steve Larson, was uh, one of the more creative individuals I ever worked with, and he came up with things that I, you know, I just never would have would have thought about. My job, in most instances, was to provide perspective that they didn't have, which would be, what you know, what would the other programs that were interfacing think? What is the higher level schedule? What is the higher level, you know, what sort of budget? And in a lot of cases. They would think, oh, man, I don't have much money, I don't have much time, or I don't have, you know, other engineering resources. And I could bring all of those things to bear and then provide them the bigger, the bigger picture in some of those conversations. But never would I disagree with them on a technical basis. That was the job of, you know, maybe our chief engineer that was there or something like that. But um, I would just change the constraints of the problem. Any final thoughts you want to leave with us about uh, this particular topic? Anything you think we didn't discuss that um, might be of import? So decision velocity is in and of itself, I think, going to be one of our more critical cultural um, challenges that we face moving forward, right? As an organization, both uh, uh, you know, at a programmatic level and as, a, as an agency level, um, we, we are going to be continuously faced with uh, a culture that we have to push back on, that we have to move against in certain cases where um, we, we are going to have to make decisions in a timely and effective manner. That doesn't mean we have to make poor quality decisions. That means we have to make decisions of a high quality more quickly. And, and so if we want to stay relevant, that means we have to accept responsibility. We, want to, we have to accept um, you know, the different methods of both managing and leading and in different environments that allow us to move more quickly and rapidly through design development test um, that helps us get to that same result. And so that means how do we look at our risk management? How do we look at our, at our decision velocities? And how do we force some of these things down without accepting an undue amount of risk? And there are sweet spots available. When, when we looked at, at kind of across the program and said, what, what are ways we can start to change our culture? We targeted about four to five different um, subsystems, set up, set up lean teams and said, okay, how do we get drawings out? Well, right now they have, um, well, like, 
you know, in some of these areas, we, we had nine signatures to release a single drawing, you know, and so those had to go to nine different people for um, our work authorization documents, you know, very similar sorts of things. And so all of those things take immense amounts of time. So we looked at each one of those things and said, how can we force accountability to a lower level and not unduly increase our risk? And then does that create kind of a groundswell of a culture change, right? Which kind of says, how do we force that down? How do we increase some of the decision velocity and decrease some of the burden on the upper upper grounds of the system? Um, and And I think those are things that we're going to have to do in order to really move us along quicker, but also um, create kind of the, the accountability responsibility at some of the lower levels that also makes them better, right? And then, and then it builds on itself over time. Thanks to Jeremy Parsons for sharing his thoughts and expertise on decision velocity. And thanks to Angelo Connor for serving as guest moderator. For Jeremy's bio and more information about Exploration Ground Systems, as well as a transcript of this podcast episode, please visit apple.nasa.gov podcast. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have suggestions for future topics, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple and use the hashtag small steps, giant leaps. Thanks for listening.